Good evening. We'll get started here. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Now it is week 10. <laughs> some of you remember last week, I kind of scared some of you saying it was week 10, but it is officially week 10, so I hope. But um, you made it this far. Give yourselves a hand. Almost done. Our speaker for this evening, some of you may know him as Professor, and some of you may know him as, as Pastor at Northeast Community Church. And it's Pastor Will Mackey. He's coming in. Can we welcome Pastor Will? Let us all, let us all um, stand this evening. Let's say our theme together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And we put our trust in Him. We put our hope in our God. The psalm writer in the 42nd Psalm writes, Put your hope in God, for I will praise Him, my Savior and my God. Good evening, everyone. We're working in the book of Acts tonight, Acts chapter 16. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 36, specifically. Let me give you a little bit of the context of this. Paul is in his second missionary journey. They were getting ready to leave, or getting ready to form this journey and deciding who, what, where. Barnabas came to Paul and said, I'd like John Mark to go. You see what happened on the first missionary journey, John Mark started off with them, went to the island of Cyprus, went to Pamphylia, and something happened in those ministry places. And when they were ready to leave Pamphylia, John Mark got on the boat and went home. Now perhaps months or a few years later, they're getting ready to embark on their second missionary journey. Barnabas feels like John Mark has grown, matured perhaps, changed. Paul's not convinced. The scriptures say in chapter 15, verse 38, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Something happened, something about John Mark's faith. But when he got away from home and when he got into the thick of ministry, he couldn't endure it. The scriptures say that the contention was so great, in other words, Barnabas and Paul could not come to agreement. That happens sometimes between believers. They both felt so strongly either way. Barnabas said, John Mark has changed. He needs to be on the journey with us. Paul says, you know, this isn't personal. This isn't vengeance, but I'm not seeing the growth. I'm not seeing that marked in his life, and I can't get our guys in a spot with anybody that I can't count on. And so they agreed to go their separate ways. Barnabas and John Mark went over the path of the first missionary journey to revisit some of the churches and strengthen the churches there. Paul chose Silas, and they began to go a different direction. 
Top of chapter 16, they came to Derby, went to Lystra. Verse 6 of chapter 16, they went through Pergia and Galatia. And they wanted to go into Asia, but the scripture said that the Lord prevented it. But the Lord Jesus said no. So they went on down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia holding up his hand saying, would you come and would you tell us the gospel? The next morning, Paul shared that vision, got up, and they headed into Macedonia. One of the major cities in Macedonia that they stopped in because it was a district city was the city of Philippi. That's where our story kicks up at. They got into town midweek. They started asking around, found out that a group of believers, Jewish believers, met on Saturday down by the river. On Saturday, they went down. There they met Lydia and her group. They began to tell her the gospel. The scripture said the Lord opened her heart and she received Christ. She and her family, and they were baptized. And then she invited them into her home. Now with verse 16, as they uh, began ministry that next week, once when we were going to the place of prayer, where we met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days, and finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. But when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. 
Now you can leave. Go in peace. I want to highlight for us a verse this evening, verse 25. In the midst of this ministry activity, in the midst of ministry activity that at that point, uh, for all practical appearances, was going south. In the midst of hard, strenuous, continuous opposition. In the midst of, of difficult ministry. Look at verse 25. Paul and Silas, about midnight, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We're keeping with our theme this year about faith, about trusting in the Lord. There are two aspects of faith, basically. There is one aspect of faith where we are believing in Jesus. And then there's another aspect of faith, faith where we are believing on Jesus. We're going to talk about the second one this evening. From all of this, I gather a concept, a point, and it is this. Deep and mature faith is needed to work in God's kingdom. Deep and mature faith is needed to work in God's kingdom. Now the first kind of faith, this faith believing in Jesus Christ, that's simple. That's the beginning part of that. That's good, but to be a minister, to be someone called of God and to go out into ministry and to be a leader in ministry, you and I must allow God to deepen, drastically deepen our faith. Let me show you some examples in our story here. Let's walk through the story very quickly, but instead of just looking at it on face value, let's look at these episodes through the faith of Paul and Silas. What about, in the very beginning there, what about when they're in ministry and they're going through the streets and they see right in front of them a slave girl who is possessed by a spirit? When they see this, they see this child who somehow, some way, has been introduced to the demonic, whose parents have certainly failed them, whose, whose owners have certainly failed them. Some way, somehow, she has been exposed to the things of darkness and a very early age encouraged to participate and to yield herself to those things. So much so that a child is possessed by a demon. Think about as a minister seeing that happen. The scriptures say that, that, that she followed them for a couple days and, and she spoke and declared who they were. And it took Paul a couple of days to perhaps sense that this was demonic and not child's play. But it says he was so troubled, he was so burdened, that over the course of a couple of days, he began to have such a burden for this young lady. He began to pray, obviously, in those days. God, how can we serve and how can we help? And finally, on that particular day, the Spirit moved him. He turned around. He identified the problem. And he freed her in the name of Jesus from that demon. But think about ministering and seeing that level of of evil. Now, now also think about a girl who was taken advantage of by adults. Child abuse, really. Who not only was exposed to darkness, but who also was now, when they found out that she was possessed, or they were a part of that possession, they found out a way to make money for it. And instead of caring about a child, instead of caring about her needs, instead of caring about her upbringing, instead of caring about her worth and value, grown men are using her for profit epitome of selfishness. 
right in the midst of ministry, right in the midst of being confronted with child abuse, with, with a child being, uh, being possessed by the evil one, and, 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 and the epitome of selfishness in the adults, Paul and Silas were able to stay focused. They were able to keep trusting. They were able to keep moving forward. They were able to keep focused. They were able to keep their eye on what Christ had sent them, sent them to do. How about when... Uh, how about when her owners turned on them, arrested them? Did the citizens arrest, took them into the magistrates? How about that scene? Right in the smack of ministry, only trying to do good, only trying to be faithful to God, loving everyone, freeing this young lady from evil bondage. And they get arrested. They get taken in. And the crowd, it says, is against them. How about facing ministry when opposition to your ministries absolutely with overwhelming odds. How about when bad goes to worse? Not only have they been ganged up on, not only are they arrested, not only is everyone, it seems, in the city against their ministry and what they're there to do, but the magistrates orders them to be held and to be beaten. What happens in ministry when those you're trying to serve are now somehow in control? when God allows others to control your life and their decisions to begin to manipulate your time and your efforts and your freedom or lack of freedom. You see what I mean in this, in this ministry setting, in this ministry event, as they're caring in the name of Jesus, all kinds of pressures come to bear on them. All kinds of stresses and, and distractions knock at their door. How about when worse goes to rotten not only are they beaten, but once they're flogged, the magistrate decides they're going to stay overnight in jail. We've got to do a little research on you boys. We've got to think about this. And so they take them to the jailer, and they tell that jailer, you better not let these boys get away. Upon hearing that, he doesn't put them on the outer part of the jail, but he puts them on the inner part of the jail. Stench, rats, feces all over the place. Sit down, Paul. Sit down, Silas. Lock your feet. Lock your hands. Wow. This is ministry. This is what I signed up for. <laughs> Only a couple days ago, we were so excited to launch the second missionary journey. Only a couple days ago, were we so excited and we ministered to other places with such freedom. Only a couple days ago, we ministered and proclaimed the gospel and people came to Christ by the groves. And now, I'm ministering in a God-forsaken city to what appears to be God-forsaken people. And I'm seeing the filthiest of the filth, the carnalness of the carnal. I'm seeing children possessed by demons. I'm seeing adults who should know better exploit them day in and day out for their own gain. I'm seeing a whole city that has lost their mind, it seems, who side with the side of evil and not with the side of good, who somehow found wrong in the fact that I rescued that girl and set her free from demonic position, and somehow this has turned around, and now they are against me, and they are siding with these evil men, and the whole mob has gone mad, it seems. And magistrates, crooked, unfair men, only wanting the pleasure of the crowd. They hear the roar of the crowd and they make their decisions based upon that, not right and wrong. And they have us beaten. 
and not only beaten, but thrown into prison like common criminals. Here I am at midnight, sitting in chains with rats crawling across my lap, stench filling my nostrils to the point where it's so hard to breathe. And this is ministry. And what does it say they do? They praise God. They sing songs of worship to God. So much so that an earthquake comes, shakes all the cell doors loose. Instead of running, instead of bolting for the port, instead of they stay there and Paul gathers everybody, keeps them there, gathers there. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the jailer's reaction. He knew the rule of the, the land. You lose your prisoners, you lose your life. The jailer comes, sees the collapsed prison, and he knows. He knows the unfairness of the land and the unfairness of the law. And he draws a sword to take his own life. And Paul's voice breaks out in the darkness. Don't do it. Put the sword down. We're all here. You know the story. The man comes up, asks how to be saved. Wouldn't you like that? Wow. You like it when people walk up to you and say, hey, can you tell me how to get saved? Paul explains it, teaches them, baptizes them. And then the next morning when this is all over, the magistrates then decide, oh, you guys can go. How about when God's timing is so different than your timing? Wouldn't it have been wonderful if magistrates could have come to that conclusion yesterday afternoon? What I'm trying to say is these, while they may be different, you and I find ourselves in these kinds of ministry situations all the time. They may not be this extreme or they may not look exactly like this. But in some instances they are. In ministry you'll see children hurt and abused and forsaken and forgotten. In ministry you'll see parents that are so caught up in their own problems and heartaches that they deeply neglect their children physically, mentally, emotionally, and certainly spiritually. You'll run into situations where children are exploited, where evil is so rampant and so constant that you can almost see the image of the evil one standing behind them. You'll run into situations where you work hard and you roll up your sleeves and with all your heart you're serving and obeying and caring and loving and teaching and preaching and doing everything you possibly know how to do. You're working so hard that it looks like it all depends on you. You're praying so hard that you know it all depends upon God. And right in the midst of your very best efforts and your, in, your most, in your most exhaustive moments, you'll look around and you'll see that the fruit of your ministry is very small, perhaps. That with all those days and all those hours and all that sacrifice, maybe only a few will come to Christ. And the enemy will come up beside you and behind you. And he'll say, this is ministry. You really want to give your life to this? There will be times in your ministry where you will feel like you were up against overwhelming odds. Well, it feels like everybody but you has lost their minds. Where it will feel like everybody but you uh, 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 doesn't care about, or cares, doesn't care about the kingdom of God. 
and you will work and serve and minister and you will feel alone and isolated and overwhelmed by how many unsaved there are and how small the fruit of your ministry is. There will be days when bad goes to worse. There will be days when the Lord will allow others to bring control into your life, make decisions that you don't agree with that will affect you for a long time. There will be times in ministry where the Lord will allow you to suffer physically. He will not stop it. But He'll allow physical discomfort to happen in your life. And there will be times and lots of times where God's timing is so far away from your timing. And the harder you pray and the more you want it, the less you have of it. But what do you do in those times? How do you get through those times? How are you able to, to continue to trust in the person of Jesus Christ when everything else in your life is screaming at you, don't trust. Take control. Don't trust. React. Don't trust. Walk away. Don't trust. Give up. How in the world, when you are surrounded with that kind of atmosphere, can you possibly stay focused on the one you love and the mission of the one you love? How can you look through all of that pain and heartache and all that can happen in ministry and still see the mission of Jesus Christ, still see the way forward, still see what the next step is? How in the world can you face all of that kind of ministry and still arrange your life in the proper priorities that it needs to be, doing first things first, keeping first things first? How in the world can you continue to show up and love and care and serve and sacrifice day in and day out when it feels like absolutely nobody else on the face of the earth cares. How do you do that? How do you do that? That's ministry. That's real ministry. Real ministry is not trying to get numbers and dollars in your church. Real ministry is meeting the evil that has built itself up in the lives of people head on. And it takes faithfulness and consistency and focus and trust and priority over and over and over and over again sometimes before the breakthrough comes. How do we do it? We do it because we have allowed God to build a deep faith in us. This is not automatic. This does not come with the territory. It does not automatically happen in our lives. While believing in Jesus is a wonderful thing, and it is a starting point, but the idea of believing on Jesus is a massive undertaking it is a journey that you and I will be on for the rest of our lives. But if you and I hope to work in God's kingdom, if you and I hope to make a difference and to be faithful and to persevere and to really be hands and feet and mouthpieces 
for the Lord Jesus Christ and reach those who seem unreachable. If you and I hope to be a part of the kingdom work at that level, you and I have got to allow Jesus Christ to deepen and mature our faith. That is the area of ministry that only belongs to the mature, that only belongs to the deep. I have seen so many people over the years do like John Mark. Ministry looks good. It seems appealing. Oh, it's fascinating and intellectually stimulating. And, and they begin down the road of ministry. And then they meet the enemy in the strangest places. And then they get sad about the size of their fruit. And then the opposition begins to happen, and that opposition seems so overwhelming. And then bad goes to worse. God's timing's all wrong. And I watch them, and you've watched them turn around and walk away. Why? Deep faith. This institution is about educating you, and that's a good thing. But this institution is also about giving you the skills, helping you develop the equipment that will enable you to cooperate with God in the development of your faith for a lifetime. That's what this institution is about. You can fill your head full of knowledge, and that's a good thing. Do it. Read everything you can get your hands on. Study hard. Make A's. That is very important to you and I'll tell you, that is very important to God, that you're giving your best and learning about ministry. But in the midst of that learning, do not forget that one of the most important things this school will do for you is it will teach you how to cooperate with God in the development of your faith. Ministry cannot take place without deep abiding faith. You must have it. I must have it before we can be of any use to the Master. How do we do that? Let me give you three suggestions very quickly. There are a number in scriptures, but I hope you'll write these down. Three things that will help you cooperate with God so that He can, so that he can develop a deep and abiding faith in you. Number one, the Word. Number one, the Word. The scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Could I encourage you to read the word? Could I encourage you to study the word? Could I encourage you to know this book backwards and forwards? Could I encourage you to turn that television off more often? Could I encourage you to turn that radio down a little more often? And could I encourage you to give up some very good and decent things and put in their place the reading and studying of the Word. Could I encourage you to eat with it, sleep with it, drink with it? Could I encourage you to read this book? Read other books. Read other books that tell you about this book, but don't let reading other books that tell you about this book replace your reading of the book. Read this, digest it, pour over it, weep over it. Pray over it. Become a person of the Word. If you will put the study of the Word 
at the top of your list, you will never lack for faith. And God will have every opportunity to deepen your faith and do season. Number two, cultivate relationship. Cultivate relationship. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, we see something Jesus does that he has done every day since then. We see the calling of the disciples. And in that, he said two things. He said, follow, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And could I tell you that that system, that formula has never changed since then. Our call first and foremost is to follow Jesus Christ and to love him. That's our call. That's our love. That's our loyalty. We're not called to a program. We're not called to a system. We're not called to a doctrine. We're not called even to a mission. We're called to a person, Jesus Christ. And we love that person and we give ourselves to that person and that person can do whatever he wants to do with us. And when we attach ourselves in love and loyalty to him, he says he will make us fishers of Three things to do to cultivate a deep faith. Number one, be a person of the word. Number two, cultivate your relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the most neglected things I see among believers is this cultivation of the relationship with him. It seems we meet him at Calvary when our sins are forgiven. And then we get so fascinated about him or about the things of the kingdom that we actually replace him with those things. And we spend more time talking about him and studying about him than being with him. It's good to study about him. It's good to talk about him. But that is not more important than being with him. This is a relationship. And if you will cultivate that relationship the way you will cultivate any relationship, how do you cultivate a relationship? It's easy. Communication and time invested together, right? Simple. Our walk with Jesus is no different. If you and I are going to be people of deep faith, we need to make it our discipline and make it our habit to spend long and abiding times talking to Him, walking with Him, listening to Him. This is a requirement for somebody who is going to work in his kingdom. And then number three, cooperate with God in the testing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 tell us. James says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials and tests. He says the reason you're to consider it all joy is because God's at work in those trials and tests. And that when you are faced with hardship and suffering and problems and God is calling you to persevere, to stay focused and to stay faithful and to continue to trust Him and to continue to walk forward and to continue to obey, when you are doing that in the midst of conflict, He says you are learning perseverance. And He says it is through perseverance, through perseverance that the Lord will mature your faith. Great faith is built 
by being faithful in the small things, by being faithful in the daily things, by being faithful in the testings. When we learn to persevere here, we learn to persevere there. Ladies and gentlemen, God has called you to work in his kingdom. But I urge you this evening to make sure that you understand that work in that kingdom will require great abiding faith. The ability to trust him no matter what happens in your life. The ability to trust him, to stay focused in him, to persevere for him, to endure for him, no matter what you come up against. That will be impossible for you and for me if we don't allow him to develop our faith now. Be people of the word. Cultivate the relationship with him and cooperate him, with him when you're being tested. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you this evening as we close out. And I want to pray that God will call you to deep abiding faith. Heavenly Father, this evening, thank you for these students and the faculty tonight. Thank you for who they are. Thank you for their love for you and their loyalty to your kingdom. Thank you that they are here and they are putting forth a great measure of sacrifice to be here and to prepare and to train. They have a sense of responsibility to you. They do not want to enter into ministry unprepared. They have a respect for you and your kingdom, and that's why they're here. Father, I just pray for them as they learn, as they grow, as they fill their mind full of information about you, about life, about humanity, about ministry and the work of the kingdom. But I also pray for them tonight that, God, they will put in their sights, they will put at the top of their list, they will cultivate such a deep desire in their heart to be men and women of enormous faith, that they would want to be people of great abiding faith, a faith that was immovable, that faith that could not be talked out of loyalty and love to Christ, a faith that could face anything and still trust you and do what you said, even when their whole world is screaming the opposite in their ears. Father, I pray for these dear students that they would become men and women of faith that could endure anything you lead them into. Father, develop this in them. Make this their goal. Let, this, let them walk on the path to do this. Let them be men and women of the Word. Let them cultivate this personal walk with you. Let them learn the fabric of your voice, the feel of your touch, the prompting of your leading. And Father, let them cooperate with you as you train them, as you build deep endurance and perseverance in them so that they can be fully equipped for the work you have for them. Bless them, I pray, on their journey. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.